Um, all right, hey, we're in Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. Let me kind of just fill you guys in what we're doing, where we're at. Um, I love, again, walking in week by week and just seeing the whole book of Colossians written at the end of the hallway and seeing what you guys are highlighting and circling and underlining. We're, we're working our way through the book of Colossians. It, it has such a high view of Jesus. It's really just saying you might think highly of Jesus. You might have a prominent view of Jesus, but he's not prominent. He's preeminent. He's over it all. And he's saying in light of who Jesus is, here is who you are in Christ. And so Colossians 3, the chapter we're in, is like a pivotal chapter. It kind of changes tones a bit. He goes from this is your identity in Christ he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll also appear with him in glory. He says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he's basically saying, your life is just in Jesus. You are a new creation. You have a new identity. In light of having this new identity, here's how you live. Here's how you walk. So we're changing tones from these statements, these indicatives. Here's who you are. Here's a statement made about you to imperatives. Now, here's how you need to live. So you'll even see this more next week with husbands, love your wives, wives, respect your husbands. You'll see this more and more, but we're going to be transitioning more from that like high level identity in Christ to now go do this. And it's in light of who you are in Christ. And we never want to get that backwards. So often the church, it's easy to go, I have to do, I should do, I ought to do. What happens is when you realize that your life is hidden with Christ and you're, you have a new identity in him, it's no longer I have or ought to, it's I get to, I want to. There's a change that takes place. So as we study these commands now, we're like, go and live this way. God does expect a certain lifestyle from a follower of Jesus, just bottom line. God does expect us to live a certain way. And so last week, if you're with us, we looked at verse 12 through 14, and he's saying, okay, here's your identity, now put on Jesus. Remember, he's describing, cast off these things, and he's using this idea of like changing your clothes. Put off these clothes and put on the Lord Jesus. Be wrapped in love. Be clothed in love. The thing that binds us all together. Now, we're going to be looking at verse 15 to 17. And it's almost like here's the byproduct of putting on Jesus. As you put on Jesus, as you walk with Jesus, there will be this element attitude of thanksgiving, of peace, of the word of God dwelling in you richly. And he's just saying, like, here's kind of the byproduct, but we still have to fight for this. So uh, I want to make it really clear. If you think, Josiah, you're force-fitting this, I'm so thankful. Again, not that creative or clever to make it work this way, but I'm just glad it worked out this way. Here's three of the verses. We'll put the phrases up. <clears throat> he says, learning verse 15, be thankful. Verse 16, with thanksgiving in your hearts. Verse 17, giving thanks to God. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. I'm so glad this worked out. Um, so the title today is simply give thanks. Give thanks. I mean, Paul is saying you have, the, you have the peace of Christ, you have the word of Christ, you have the name of Christ, and there should be this element of thank, thankfulness in that. I love he just says, and be thankful. It's like a, a parent to their son or daughter, be thankful. Just be thankful with thanksgiving, with thankfulness. And here's my hope as we just read this. Um, this is not just because, oh, it's Thanksgiving week. This would be our text anyways. And I do think that it's so necessary for us to cultivate just a spirit of thankfulness, a spirit of like, God, you've been so good. <laughs> you know, it's funny, even roll my ankle on Monday, I'm like, I'm teaching on thankfulness. All right, here we go, <laughs> you know? And, but just the idea of like, Lord, you're so good despite fill in the blank. And just, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm thankful. And I really think this could be one of the best apologetics to the world is Christians with a spirit of thankfulness. I think that this can make us stand out in a very unique way. 
And so I just want to read Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 to 17. We'll read it, and then I'll pray, and we'll talk through it. I'm going to sit down probably most of the time. So Colossians 3, verse 15. Here's what Paul writes. In light of putting on love, in light of putting on these new clothes, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and, everyone say it, and, what? Be thankful, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We couldn't have asked for a better Thanksgiving text. Um, but in reality, it's so much more than that. So I just want to pray. I want to ask that you guys just take a second, bow your head, close your eyes, and maybe just say, Lord, speak to me today. Do something different in me today. Let this be more than a Bible study. Holy Spirit, do something deep in my heart. Just take a second, talk to the Lord. Father, we just, um, we just want to thank you for who you are, for what you've done. God, we want to enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise, that there is no one like you, that these are not just words we say, Lord. We ask that in our lifestyle and how we live and how we do life, God, that there would be a sense of just gratefulness, of thankfulness, Lord, in a world that is insanely cynical. We ask that you would do something different in us. We ask, God, that what you say here, we would do and we would allow, that your peace would rule in our hearts, that your word would dwell in us richly, that everything we do, we do in your name, Jesus, giving you thanks, Father. And so we just want to say thank you, Lord. Um, cultivate this within us. Lord, just do something fresh. Remind us of who you are in your precious name. Amen. You know, when it comes to thankfulness, I don't think any of us can be like, I'm there, the most thankful human you'll ever meet. Like, I think there's a lot of room in all of us to just grow in thankfulness. When I was in like my late teens, early 20s, and really like just kind of like I feel like the Lord opened my eyes to so much of who he is and what he's done. And there's such a beautiful like, I'm in God, I'm all in, 18, 19, 20, 21. There's such a zeal for God. But in that zeal for God, I think what began to kind of spur in my heart was a cynicism just towards others, towards Christians. I notice this a lot when you see people, even if this can happen later in life, when you start taking your faith serious, you're like, I'm all in. What can happen many times is you begin to look at every other Christian and just get really critical, really cynical. Like, why aren't they living this way? I'm doing this. And you're like, you've been doing it for a month. Like, chill out. Like, it's, it's just very funny how as soon as you're like all in, there's something that happens deep in your heart. I notice it's a lot of, it's just really self-righteousness. It's pride. It's like, I could do it better. We could, the church, the American church, ugh. And there's almost like a disgust towards everything that you see when it comes to, and here's the thing. Um, people who've been walking with Jesus for years that I, I look up to, I respect, people that I go, wow, they've been walking with the Lord 30, 40, 50 years. There's people who've been walking with the Lord 30, 40, 50 years, but they're still in that cynical state. They're still in that kind of judgmental state. But then there's others, the ones I look up to, I go, man, they've been walking with Jesus for 40, 50 years, and there's this unique joy. There's like thankfulness in their heart. It's almost like there's a song always in their hearts. 
and you're thinking, is that just their disposition? Maybe they're just born that way, and you're like, no, no. Actually, the more you get to know them, you're like, God just did something radical in them. My point being, this is something I've been overwhelmed by, like this thought, but we live, I think, in one of the most prosperous kind of eras ever. I mean, we have everything at our fingertips, and yet we are the most miserable, depressed, anxious generation there is. And obviously, there's this correlation of it's not just stuff or things or accessibility that will bring you a grateful heart or thankful heart. We have a really cynical generation. And that's not just me calling it a generation. I just think like this time period, whatever age, we have a very cynical, whether you look down on the youth or you look down on the, the older generation, we have like this very critical, cynical against the church, against everything. And I think one of the greatest ways to fight cynicism is a spirit of thankfulness. And I do think that the church has an opportunity to stand out, to be different, to look different. I actually think when I say an apologetic for the faith, like I think a great defense for the faith is why are the Christians uniquely joyful or thankful? But I don't know if that's what the world thinks or sees. But I think if we were actually to embrace like with thanksgiving, be thankful. If we'd embrace this, I think it'd be a really unique thing that would stand out. To just fight this idea that like, no, God has been so good despite the circumstances. We will not embrace a victim mentality. We will not embrace this woe is me mentality unless it's in light of who Jesus is. We'll not embrace that. We're just gonna say, no, God has done something so beautiful in me. It's crazy. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul talks about in the last days, dot, 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 in the last days, and we can focus on a lot of the big things, but I want you to notice this. It's 2 Timothy 3, verse 2, it says this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. It feels like right now, right? He says, for people will be what? Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. He keeps going. But does that one like, what, huh? That one stuck out to me. New King James says, unthankful. He says, in the last days, people will just be ungrateful. Let's be unthankful. I don't think we look at this as one of those like, yeah, lovers of self, lovers of money, that's the bad stuff. I don't think we look at un unthankfulness or ungratefulness at, at that level of sin. And I do think that Paul's like, no, in the last days, there's going to be high cynicism. There's going to be a spirit of unthankfulness and ungratefulness. So I think we have an opportunity to say, you know what, but that's not going to be us as the church, as the body of Christ. So everything he names in this, we're the antithesis of that. Everything he names, lovers of self, we're be lovers of God and lovers of people. Lovers of money, we're going to be generous. Whatever he's, all, we're going to, the church is supposed to be the antithesis of these things he names. So he goes, okay, you're going to be ungrateful, they're going to be ungrateful and unthankful, not us. And I think like, listen, this takes work. You know, it, it, this is something I don't want to downplay and be like, this is so easy, right? When Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's not just, like, in everything. Not, not necessarily, he doesn't say for everything give thanks but in everything give thanks. And I, and I do want to look at that. And I do want to be like, this is not easy. This is one of those, just like, this is easier said than done kind of a things. But I do think that the, the thankfulness we're describing comes, comes by just participating in a personal relationship with Jesus. And so I want to look at this. I want to talk through this. I want, to, I, want to, I want God to do something unique in us. Have you guys ever been around people who are just, not just unthankful, but it's kind of bizarre. Like they can never say thank you. Like, you'd be like, why, why can't you just say thank you? You're like, th th thank you. Like, it's weird how, like, even as a parent with your kids, you're like, say thank you. Right away, we're trying to, like, teach this and ingrain this. But you, you'll meet people, it's like, man, there's literally zero gratefulness in your heart, zero thankfulness. Let it not be so of the church. We have to stand out and be different in this way. 
And so um, the idea, and again, this literally would be the text anyways, and it's just so fitting. So I want to look at what Paul does. He says it in three different verses, 15, 16, and 17. He's approaching different things, and he goes, it has to be the spirit of thankfulness. So the three points today, number one is this, thankful for the peace of Christ. Number two, thankful for the word of Christ. Number three, thankful for the name of Christ. Okay, and he just walks us through the spirit of thankfulness. So let's look at verse uh, 15, if you would, again. He says, read verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. All right, um, remember the context. The context is you have a new life, you have a new identity, you're going to walk differently, cast off these things, put on these things. He says, be you know, bonded in love. There's going to be a whole new way of living. In light of putting on love, in light of putting on Jesus, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, there's so many amazing thoughts about this. I, I do want you to understand the context, obviously, Paul writes this in. He's writing to Colossae, a church in you know, modern-day Turkey, uh, but he's writing to this church that would be under the Roman kind of rule, right? And if you, got, you guys know this, for like 200 years about, there was something called Pax Romana. And what does that mean? It just means Roman peace. It's interesting, Pax Romana, Roman peace. And it's interesting, Paul's basically saying, let me tell you about Pax Christiana. <laughs> he's like, let me tell you about Christian peace, the idea was in this time period, you would have, um, you could still worship your own gods, still have your own culture, your own religion, but uh, you had to pay taxes ultimately to Caesar. You were under Roman influence. There might have been Roman, you know, soldiers in your area. And there was peace essentially in the known world at that time. I mean, you think about the Roman Empire from like the UK to like Iran, like just a massive empire and different roads, like all roads lead to Rome. And, but there's this idea of like, there's this Roman peace that existed at this point in time. Paul's like, you, th- you want something more than this Roman peace. It's a really unique part of the, the world. He goes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, my point of just bringing it up this way is the peace of Jesus was different than the peace the Romans or anyone else had to offer. The peace today, the peace that we have in Jesus is so different than the, pe- that the peace the world can offer us today. So let me read it to you this way. It's John 14, 27. Jesus says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus, I'm leaving you my peace. I'm giving you my peace. So I love it. He goes, I'm leaving you peace. I'm giving you peace. My peace is not like the world's peace. What does that mean? The world's peace is different. The world's peace is essentially based off of circumstances. When circumstances are good, we have peace. Circumstances are not good or the way we want, we don't have peace. Jesus' peace is not based or rooted in circumstances. So I love when Jesus is going, I'm giving you my peace. My peace is not like the Roman peace, based off maybe their military protecting you from foreign. My, my peace is different. My peace I give you. Now, it's weird because when you read about even Jesus' peace, Jesus even said at different points in time, I've come to bring a sword. You know, you read about it. Here's the thing. When, you, when I talk to, you know, whenever, whenever I've, talked to, I've talked to a handful of rabbis, a handful of Jewish people, and the main thing in their heart against Jesus, one of the main things I always bring up is, well, there is no peace. The Messiah is supposed to bring peace. And when I go, well, when you read about the peace Jesus offers, it's a different type of peace. You know, yes, I understand the wolf will lie down with the lamb one day. There will be that peace. But Jesus, first and foremost, offers us this internal peace, this peace that the world could not give us, this peace that a military could not give us. He said, I give you my peace. It's a different type of peace. It's a peace that's really linked with thankfulness. And it's interesting when he says that, and be thankful. He's linking like this peace with thankfulness. So the idea is, even though the world is falling apart, I can have this internal peace with a spirit of thankfulness. 
I think one of the greatest examples of this, and we'll be studying this book next year, but I think one of the greatest examples of this is in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 6, we're told that Daniel is thriving. He's moving up the ranks. And the people uh, in Babylon are starting to notice this. And they, they go to King Darius and they say, hey, King Darius, how about this? Um, how about for 30 days no one can pray to their God or worship their God, only to you? And why don't you just like solidify this, that they do, you know, if they do that, because you're so good, King Darius, just throw them to, into the den of lions. Let's just do it. No one can pray to their God. They knew this. They're trying to set Daniel up because they knew Daniel regardless was going to pray every day, three times a day. Like they knew this. And it says this in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. I, I just love this. He says, Daniel 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, King Darius signed it, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. There's this decree. If you pray, you're going to be thrown in the den of lions. He goes home as his custom. He goes, so it's not like he's just in spite. He's like, I do this anyways. He goes home, looking towards Jerusalem, and he prays three times, and he gave thanks before his God as his custom. Imagine that. There's no peace. There's about to be, you're about to be thrown in the den of lions. This is not a peaceful moment, but he gives thanks. He had this inner peace, this unique peace that is offered. My thing is this, um, when he says, let the, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, I really was just thinking on that phrase, let, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He's saying, you have a decision, what rules your heart? That's fascinating. It's almost like the peace of Christ is like, I want to come in and rule your heart. Let it, allow it, stop resisting the peace of Christ. We all let something rule our hearts. And he goes, can you let the peace of Christ rule that? I want the peace of Christ to rule your heart. You know, many people point this out, but the word rule is an interesting word. It's literally the word that might take them back to kind of the Roman games or the Greek games, but it's this idea of umpire. It's like a referee. He's saying, let the, the peace of Christ, like umpire. And it, it had a different kind of meaning that we maybe think like baseball umpire, but it, it had this idea of um, obviously the final say, the final authority, the referee in the Roman games or Greek games, Ithian games, all the different types of games, it wasn't just over the athletes, it's also over the crowd. We can throw them out, get out of here, you're done, you're upsetting the athletes. There's this like, unique authority that umpire had. And he's saying, you need to let the peace of Christ have the final say. Circumstances don't have the final say. A bad diagnosis doesn't have the final say. And anything you can name doesn't have the final say. Let the peace of Christ umpire rule. Let it have the final say in your lives. And again, I know you could, you could read that and go, this is so much easier said than done. I, I want to point this out, this idea of the Messiah bringing peace, and Jesus said, I leave my peace. I'm giving you my peace. It's weird, because this is one of those things we can just talk about and study and read verses, but there's a difference between that and be like, okay, Jesus, you said you leave me your peace. Please do that. I want to encourage you, there comes a point in time when you're reading the Bible, and you're reading it just kind of theoretically, and then you're reading it with this heart of like, Lord, I want to experience what you're describing here. So I want, my hope is like, as you read this, when Jesus says, I leave you my peace, when you pray to you go, Jesus, you said this. So either one, you're lying, which is, you're not, <laughs> or two, I'm fighting this. I'm resisting this. So today I'm, I'm not going to resist this today. Lord, I'm going to let the, the, your peace rule in my life. You said you leave your peace with me. So do that. I receive that. Thank you for that. It's just a different approach from just reading the Bible in this way. to like, no, Lord, you said this, please do this deep within me. I love what it says about like the, the coming of the Messiah in the book of Isaiah. And here's, here's an interesting text in Isaiah 26. Uh, maybe you've heard this. It says this, Isaiah 26. God says, or he writes, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
All right, so here's what's cool about this. You keep him in perfect peace. You can literally read this in Hebrew, and it literally says you keep him in shalom, shalom. So this idea of you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, who trusts in you. It's saying in the Hebrew, which is such a cool way of doing it. He's, it's not perfect peace. He's, he's saying the word, you keep him in shalom, shalom. Obviously, the word peace in Hebrew is shalom. It's just wholeness. It's peace on all levels. It's peace in like every facet. It's a greeting for, you know, Jews today, shalom. But it's just, it's so much more than that. It's this holistic peace. And I love how the author says, you keep him in shalom, shalom. It's almost like when it says God is holy, holy, holy. There's this emph- emphasis on the holiness of God. Like, I don't know if you get that he's holy. Let me, let me multiply it. And when it comes to this peace idea, he's saying you keep him in shalom, shalom. It's, think about it. It's wholeness, wholeness. You keep him in, per- the, there's no good translation. Oh, is it perfect peace, I guess? Holistic peace? Peace multiplied? Who, who what? Whose mind is stayed or fixed on you. It's crazy how the peace of God comes from being at peace with God. Like first, I'll say this. First, obviously, you have to be at peace with God. Romans 5.1 talks about that. Because of Jesus Christ, you're at peace with God. Now you're like, okay, I'm at peace with God because of what he's done. Now I need the peace of God. And he's like, all right, the peace of God comes from your mind being fixed on him. Those who trust in you. You know, our mind is usually going to be fixed on something. And it's fixed on like what I don't have, what I'm lacking, what just happens. And he's saying peace comes from just being fixated on you. I cannot encourage everyone, myself, I'm like speaking to myself, anyone who goes, man, I'm struggling with these high anxiety moments. The world just feels like it's crumbling. It's prob- we probably feel that in our bodies because our mind is fixed on that and not on God himself. And I do think one of the solutions, I would say the solution to like high anxious life is your mind fixated on God, the God who is peace, the God who is shalom. He gives it because that's what he is. And so one way of putting this, try to write it out this way, peace isn't found in the absence of problems, but it's found in the presence of Jesus. So peace, this peace, like, I want peace, Josiah. It's not going to be because you don't, you don't have problems or issues. It's going to be found because you have a deep relationship with Jesus. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast in you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Stop resisting it. Stop frustrating it. It's almost like God's like, I want to just pour it out on you. I love what one author, Kent Hughes, says. He says, let the peace of Christ be umpire in your hearts amidst the conflicts of life. Let it decide what is right. Let it be your counselor. Let that be the thing that rules your way of thinking. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You know, it's Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is the kingdom of God like? righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Man, can you imagine the church functioning that way? Righteousness, integrity, walking with his righteousness placed on us, but walking in that peace that surpasses all understanding, joy, this peace ruling in you, and be thankful. This is the idea he's getting at. Um, You guys, it's Thanksgiving, right? It's uh, a lot of times, you know, I think about maybe growing up that the table isn't always the most, um, you know, sweet time. Sometimes it's a crazy time. 
Sometimes it's a, a fighting time. I don't know. Maybe you look back into Thanksgiving kind of moments. And you're like, yeah, we had a lot of like arguments at Thanksgiving. That's really weird. Th- this is the time I'll just say it's a really good time as Paul wrote in Romans 12, 21. And I want to read this. Romans 12, 18. He says, if it is possible, as much as depend on, depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Here's the thing. Um, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Hey, this is a great time to say, you know what? I have not been at peace with certain people. And maybe there's some people I need to reconcile with. Like, I really do think this as I was preparing this. I'm like, I think that some of you might not might be resisting the peace of God because you're still not at peace with your brother or sister, and there's still some things you maybe need to reconcile and seek out, this is a wonderful time to pursue that person and say, hey, there are some loose ends. Maybe we never finished up. I owe you an apology. I want to come to you and just say, I'm sorry. Even if you feel like they wronged you, you're the one saying, you know what? There's things I need to own, and I'm not doing this, so then you will now tell me, oh, you're sorry. I'm doing this because I need to own this. I'm sorry. And I think that, listen, if it's possible, if it's possible, and it is by God's grace, it's possible to live at peace with all men. And there might be a handful of you who are like, I need to make peace in order for the peace of Christ to rule my heart. Because if the peace of Christ is going to rule in your heart, it's going to lead you to peace. And it's going to lead you to conversations that might be uncomfortable, but that bring an outcome of peace. So I can't stress this enough. When Paul like, says, let the, and you guys don't like that, do you? I'm sorry. Like I said that, I offended everyone. When Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, part of that is making peace with others. If at possible, live at peace with all men. Who do you need to go to right now and say, you know, I just I, I messed up big time. A year ago, five years ago, months ago, days ago. There's something we're on edge. I don't like this. It's not enjoyable. And I, I want to live at peace with you. I love you. I care for you. And I'm so sorry I let this thing or this moment get in the way. Listen, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let, the, let that be the thing that spurs you on. And I love he just says, and be thankful. This just throws everyone author off. Like, uh, I don't know. Paul's just like, peace and thankfulness go together. We're thankful for the peace of Christ. Be thankful. I love that. And be thankful. Just a parent to a child. Be thankful. You know what? God's given us so much. God's given you this peace. This peace I leave with you. Be thankful. Listen, um, this week, this idea, be thankful for the peace of Christ. Next, number two is this. Be thankful for the word of Christ. Can you look at verse 16? Verse 16, how does he say it? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Everyone say richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Some of you might remember, some of you might not. This year, okay, it's been a minute since we talked about it, but this year in 2023, we said, hey, this is the year of the word for us as a church, the year of the word. Like, what's the word of the year? The word. That's what it was for us. Um, the idea was like, hey, we just want to be about people of the word. You know, the last couple of years, we worked our way through the Samuels and Kings, and we really spent a lot of time in scripture. The idea of seeing Colossians out there when you walk in and see the whole book written out, it's like, how do we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? Listen, there is something beautiful when you, when you go, it's not just memorizing the Bible. It's not just knowing like scriptures offhand, but when it dwells in you richly, when it's like there's a foundation of the word, it's weird. I will say going back to like those early days for me, I remember like my senior year, we're like, I'm like, God, I'm all in. And I remember like reading the word from like 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. to like 2 a.m. And you almost, I remember like having dreams about the word. And even when I study, still there's times where like the word's going through your mind. It's just dwelling in you richly. It's fascinating when you're like, give yourself over to it. You know, I, when I was, and it's not, to me, I, you know this of me, but when I was 18 and I'm like, okay, God, I'm all in. Um, after, high, after high school is over, I was like, I'm not sure. I just know God's called me to ministry, but I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. And I remember a buddy called me and said, hey, uh, there's a job at this church that you can work as a janitor full-time. They need a full-time janitor. So at 18 years old, 
I'm like, okay, I'm not sure, you know, what path I'm going to take. School for a while, take a break. I was working at a gym, which I know don't laugh at. I was working at a gym as a personal trainer. Don't you judge me. <laughs> I had a couple of certifications, okay? That was 15 years ago, so leave me alone. 16, 17. Oh, my gosh, I don't even know. It's a long time ago. And um, I remember I was working at a gym, and even on my gym, like, my breaks, I, we had, like, a three-hour break because I did mornings and evenings. And just, like, being in the Word, being in the Word. And God was doing something, doing something. And then I remember going full-time at this church as a janitor. 40 hours a week. And it's a weird church where I could go, there's certain days of the week, I could go a whole day without seeing a soul. And that was hard. From like being an outgoing person, like always wanting to be around people to like 40 hours walking at this church and my backpack vacuum, you know, you're cleaning toilets and you're just like, what, I'm 18. And you're in your mind, like at 18, like the whole world's in front of you and you're like, what am I doing? I'm such a loser. And such a. And here's what I'll say. It was this beautiful season where God's like breaking me down and building me up at the same time. And I was just like, okay, you need a decrease. There's just too much Josiah. And he needs to increase. And I'll say this, there was something so beautiful, like honestly, looking back for that, it was for about 13 months, 40 hours a week, walking around, listening to sermons from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And listening to worship songs. And I'll say this, there was something that God just radically, I just remember like hearing sermons on pride and sin, and you're like cleaning toilets, like, I am prideful. Like it's just so, it's crazy, right? And you're just like crying, you're in tears, you're broken. And, and there's something about the word of God doing its work in you. And then you're like, okay, Lord, you're breaking me down. And at the same time, I feel like you're really like building me up, like this confidence in you. Like the this, this shame is diminishing and the beauty of who you are is increasing. And God was doing something wonderful. And what was that? It was just the word of God doing what it does. It's just the word of God was working. My, my point being, even when I talk to people today, it's like, how do I grow my faith? I'm like, there's no secret. Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word. If someone's like, how do I grow my faith? I'm like, just take in the word as much as you can. Driving, podcasts, messages, reading. Now, yes, there can be information overload. Yes, there can be this idea of we always hear and never do. That's a big danger as well. We don't want to be hearers only, but doers of the word. So it needs to go hand in hand. But what I'm trying to get at is like, if you're like, what's the secret to growing in your faith? It's like the word of God is the only solution I know. You know, I'm very, I remember I was talking to a friend um, years ago who's a, a pastor and I was like 18 years old and he was talking about this other pastor he looked up to and he's like, dude, that guy knows the Bible better than anyone in the world. He's like, if you cut him, he bleeds scripture. And I don't know why that is, that's like that phrase in my head, I'm like, I love that. You cut him, he bleeds scripture. I'm like, I want to bleed scripture. What's that mean? <laughs> you know, he's like, it's just so in him. And I love when Paul's like, let the word, so let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And there is something about that. How can a young person cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. There's just this like, beautiful idea, hand in hand, of like spiritual growth and success goes to the word of God. Last night, it wasn't very successful, but um, I went into my son's room, <laughs> and I, I just want to read to him Psalm 1. You know, I'm like, we're going to read about just being a tree planted by the river. But I remember like walking in there, and he's like, Dad, read Dog Man. I don't know if parents you might know, Dog Man, that's the thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll read Dog Man. Can I read you Psalm 1? I want Dog Man. And you're like, okay, you know, but I read Psalm 1 first, and then I read Dog Man. We compromised. Um, but it's just funny, reading Psalm 1, and I'm like, Micah, this is how to have a successful life. Do you want to have a good life? Well, yeah. I'm like, okay, here's how you have a good life. Blessed is the man who does not, you know, stand, and we went through that. But like, blessed is the one who's what? Like a tree planted by the river of water. Who, what? Who just delights in the law of the Lord. Who just delights in the word of God. I'm like, Micah, you want to have a good life. Delight in the word of God. Like, enjoy it. Love it. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, and I know this might sound, I don't know. I got to be very careful. I'm, my, I'm very thankful for the different men in my life who just constantly pointed me to the word. I'm just very thankful. I'm very thankful that there is a pastor I'd go to and say, I have some questions 
and what do you think? And he'd be like, well, here's what the word says. And I'm like, okay, I don't care. What do you think? He's like, here's what the word says. I'm like, stop it. What's your opinion? He's like, here's what the word says. And that has been so influential for me. Just saying there's going to be countless opinions. What does the word of God say? How do we turn to that? He's like, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly. It's so much more than memorizing or reading. But that's a good start. Read, memorize, but meditate, enjoy, delight, sing the scriptures. There's something about this. I love it. He's like, teaching. So let it dwell in you richly. How does he, he explains how. He's like, teaching and admonishing. Speak the word. You don't always have to give a reference, by the way. It's like, well, you know that uh, Philemon, verse three. Like, don't, don't do that. Just like, just speak it. Sometimes it's so, so good to just like talk the word without giving the reference. Just speak the word. Teaching, admonishing one another. And he, I love this. If you know the scripture, he's kind of doing something he wrote very similar in Ephesians 5, singing psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. He's like, do it in a way where like the scripture is sung. I think actually some of the best verses I've had memorized since my childhood is just singing scripture. Sing it. I'll make up a tune to Micah. And it's awful. But I'll just make up a tune and like sing a random psalm. Sing it. Like, there's something about just going, I want the word of God to dwell in me richly. I love what one author said. His name was Kent Hughes. He says this. He says, the record of Christian awakenings during the last 2,000 years shows that whenever the word of God is recovered, it is received with great joy, which is inevitably expressed in song. Different major revivals throughout the world. Like, oh my gosh, the word of God. It's almost like this rediscovery of the word, of who he is, of what he's done. There's like this illumination. Oh my gosh, he set me free. He's like, it's always attached to just um, song in some capacity. The medieval times, like the monastic monks and some of the things they wrote. You think about like the Wesley brothers going around preaching. There's a great great movement with the Wesley brothers preaching the gospel. Charles Wesley, and they they wrote some of the most famous and well-known hymns to this day. You think about in our modern day, like the 19, in the 60s and 70s, the Jesus movement, like Maranoth, like music, you know, radically changed and shifted. The point is, whenever there's been like a, a, a wonderful work of God, there's always been songs attached to it. And please don't get stuck in a certain generation. Please don't. I love the hymns more than anyone, but please don't be, you know what? It's great. Some guys in Europe in the 16th, 17th century, you know, wrote some great hymns, but it's okay to have modern songs. It's okay. So Psalms and hymns. You know, Paul didn't write that thinking of one day in 1600 years, there's going to be some great hymn writers. All right. That's not what he had in mind. Okay. Um, spiritual songs, stuff. It's like, oh yes, Lord, you put the song in my heart. I'm going to sing it to you. I do love it. We sung it and we're going to sing it, but I love it. And the Psalms, the Psalms are so basic. Whenever someone's like, this song is so simple. It's the same thing. I'll repeat. I'm like, read a Psalm. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. We're going to sing that by the way. It's amazing. Like the, some of the most simple and powerful are just like, yes, this truth, his mercy endures forever. It's on repeat in the Psalms. The point is like, I want it to be deeper. Like chill out. It's okay. Relax. Like sing to the Lord a new song. So my point, I'm sorry, I'm going off a little bit. But I think it's sometimes we get fixated on like there's a certain movement or generation or this part of the world. It's like, no, maybe we can learn from the African church, the Chinese church. When we were in Guatemala, there's a song, it's just called Gracias. And I know it's fitting. But I went home and listened to that in Spanish at the gym for like months after. It's great. I don't, I only know like half the words, but it's amazing. All right. There, we can learn new songs. My point is this, when, you, when the word of God does something in your life, it just leads to song. Because here's the idea. The word of God is supposed to lead to the worship of God. It's always supposed to lead to the worship of God. So when you read the word, if you read the word and don't become a worshiper, you're not reading the word the right way. So if you're reading the Bible and you're like, I love the Bible, but I'll never <laughs> sing to God. I'm like, I don't know what Bible you're reading. I'll read the Bible, but I'll not raise my hands. I'll not clap. I'll not, I'm like, okay, cool. But the Bible does say sing, shout, make a joyful noise. Like if you read it, you're going to do it. My, my point is saying, 
He's like, when the word of God dwells in you richly, it's going to lead to song. It's just going to. And I know it's uncomfortable at first. Like, I have to put my, back, my, my mindset back there. It's like years ago when you start taking your faith serious. It's weird at first to be like, okay, so what do I do with my hands? My eyes? Like, it's, I understand it's weird, but there's something where you go, Lord, I just surrender to you. I'm done. I'm done. Your word has done something deep in me. I'm, I'm here. I'm yours. I surrender all, whatever. I'm yours completely. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. When you read the word of God, it will always lead to the worship of God if you read the right way. Read it. It will lead to the worship of God. Amen? I love what Jeremiah says. God, your words were found and I ate them. And your word to me was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I found your word and I just ate it up. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Your word was found, I ate it. And know what I did when I ate the word? It brought joy and rejoicing. If someone reads the word and they're miserable, they're not, again, reading the right word. <laughs> they're not reading the right way. They're probably reading something different. I don't know what they're reading. Because when I found your word and I ate it, it was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. It brought joy. It produces joy. God, when I, the word of Christ dwells in you, it's going to produce thankfulness with thankfulness. You guys track with me. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ rule in your heart. Be thankful for that. Number three is this. I'm thankful for the name of Christ. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, and whatever you do. Everybody say, whatever you do. Wait, whatever? Whatever. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love what Adrian Rogers says. I just want to jump straight to it. Adrian Rogers, the pastor, said this back in the day. It's so good. He says, when we come to church, we don't merely come to church to worship. We bring worship with us to church. We bring our worship to church. Love that. We're not just coming here to worship. Hopefully throughout the week, you've been worshiping and you're bringing your worship with you to this place of worship. So I love that. I love that worship. You know, I remember as a young kid, and you might still feel this way. I'm like, so is heaven really the place where you just sing forever? I'm like, because that doesn't sound great. And I remember that that's a thought that I still, you still encounter all the time. Maybe you have. And I love it. Listen, I, first of all, I think when the gospel of Jesus does something deep in your heart, you're going to be like, oh, I cannot wait to see that choir. That's going to be sick in Revelation 4 and 5. Like, yo, I can't wait for that. That's going to be sweet. Like, you're going to love it. But this idea of worship is not just limited to song. I love that. Because if you look at verse 16, and he talks about singing psalms and spiritual songs, and then he says, and whatever you do, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. He's connecting worship to the whatever you do. And actually next week, and I, I want to make this bridge now, but next week when we talk about parenting and being a husband and being a good wife, but when we talk about those details, that's part of whatever you do. That's part of the whatever you do in the name of the Lord. So parenting, being a husband, going to be a good partner, a good spouse. He's going to connect that to verse 17, so I want to make that connection now. But this idea of whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, whatever you do. I, it's funny because even when you read that word, whatever you do, like, I don't know, it takes me back to, like, just that teenage weird thing in you, like, whatever. I don't know why my mind just, like, reading it, like, whatever you do, I don't even care. Like, my mind's kind of read it like that. But I do, I do love, like, it's funny when you read about authors going, he, he couldn't be more clear because he's not just saying whatever, but he's like, whatever, whether it's word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wor like, real worship is connected to just your real day-to-day -day life. And this is so freeing because, listen, I can't wait to join in with heaven's choir and sing. But I think part of worship in heaven will be sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and having a really awesome meal. I think part of worship will be enjoying what God has created forever. I think part of worship is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. You guys know this, but Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or, again, whatever you do, <laughs> whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
yes, I think this verse can get really, this verse can be abused, man. I've sat down with people like, whatever you do, do the name of Jesus. I'm like, that's not, don't be that guy. But there is something really sweet, like when you do, like, no, we're going to do this for the glory of God. Like, hey, when you go to work, go to work for the glory of God. You know, when you do anything, when you serve at church, even you can serve at church for the wrong reasons. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's just this beautiful connection of like your worship is tied to your real world activities in life. And it is your body being that living sacrifice. Sacrifices are normally dead, but this time it's a living sacrifice. That's my spiritual worship. It's this idea of worship is tied not just to song. Song's a major role, a major part of it. But like for the Christian lifestyle, worship is is connected to your day-to-day moments. Just I'll say this, it's beautiful when you connect those, 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 those tasks that we're like, oh, this is frustrating. If you can connect it to worship, if you can connect it to God, this is for you. This moment that's driving me nuts in parenting, I'm going to do for your glory and for the development of this child, and I need your strength. The point is like, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Do in the name of the Lord Jesus. I love when Jesus says, hey, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you by no means lose your reward. Basically, he's saying, if you just even serve someone in my name, you have a reward in heaven. Just serving anyone, the, the most minimal thing, here's some water, that's worship to me. That's this worship, it's service. I love what the book of Micah says about this. He says, for all the peoples walk each in the name of its own God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Everyone walked in their own God's name and his reputation and Mike is like, we're going to walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Whatever you do, in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give me thanks. Just do it with him, for him. Know what's cool about this again? It takes the mundane and makes it spiritual. And it even takes like the spiritual things that we feel like, oh, that's sacred. And it can make it like normal. Oswald Chambers said this, and I'll, I'll, so I'm similar from him, but listen to how he says it. He says, in all, in all natural things, we are to be spiritual. And in all spiritual things, we are to be natural. (laughs) Therefore, we're to be naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. I love it. The things that like just seem so mundane or natural, like that's just part of life, make it spiritual, make it supernatural. The Lord can meet you in this place. Some of the best times I've connected with God has been doing the mundane thing. You know, Brother Lawrence, when he wrote about um, how to encounter the presence of God, he was a dishwasher for other monks. And as he's washing dishes, he's describing these heavy moments he's encountering God. I know like no one wants to hear that because I hate dishes too. But I love that. He's like, I'm just, as he's just doing the, the brainless, effortless thing that you're just like, I'm just doing the dishes. He's like, those were the times I felt God's presence the most. The natural things became supernatural. What a beautiful thing that would be. Yes, it can happen in the secret place. Yes, it can happen alone in your room when you're in prayer, when you're like, you're turn- like everything's kind of diminished and you're just like, I'm focused but I love how going on a walk, enjoying your kid, just watching, those things, those, those natural things can be supernatural. God just overwhelms you like, yes, that's the way I love you. Yes, that's that way you feel right now towards that. That's how I feel towards you infinitely more. There's these moments where the natural things become supernatural. What a beautiful thing. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Just with thanksgiving, giving thanks. Here's the thing. I'm thankful for the peace of Christ, for the word of Christ, for the name of Christ. Amen? Here's what we need to do. We are going to worship and sing, and I actually want to bring this up. The thing that is so unique to, honestly, think through this, the thing that makes Christianity so unique, historically speaking, we've always been a singing people. 
It, like, if you think about it, like, whether the Psalms, like, for thousands of years, like, so other religions practice their faith in other ways. Here's the idea for us. We go, we can't help but sing. God has put a new song in us. And even the old songs are made new. <laughs> Everything, God, like, God, yes, do it again. So I just want to do this. Can we just give thanks to God for his word, for his peace, and for the name of Jesus? Can you guys just stand? We just truly want to end with a spirit of thankfulness and of song. So we, we're going to do that now. Let's just pray. Father, we just want to say thank you for your son, Jesus. Um, Lord, I, I just want to ask for everyone in this room that you would quiet our hearts, that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. Lord, I ask that um, what you described about the kingdom of God being righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, we ask that that would be in this room right now. There would be righteousness, peace, and joy. God, that you would put within us a new song, a new psalm, that we'd make melody in our hearts to you, God. Lord, that just come from this place of just deep gratefulness. We are so grateful for the cross because, Jesus, we are absolutely nothing. We are sinners, dead in our sin, but you have made us alive, and we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the peace you offer us. Thank you for the word that can dwell in us richly. And, Jesus, thank you for the name that is above all names. We praise you. We look to you. We ask that you'd be honored and blessed and glorified in your name. Amen. Let's sing. Let's worship.